Hi guys, welcome to the Art of Acquisitions podcast. Here we discuss how you can create cash flow and grow your wealth with acquisitions. We have a great guest lineup, including Craig. Craig bought two businesses with 10 million in sales, no money down. And Alan, Alan has led multiple deals ranging in value from 1 million to 9 billion. Yes, that was right, 1 million to 9 billion. Art of Acquisitions, simply the fastest strategy to create cash flow and grow your wealth. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Jerry Alexander. Give him a virtual high five. If you're sitting at home, give him a high five right now. Welcome, Jerry Alexander, to Tail Capital's live broadcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, buddy. Um, we met uh, on an online dating service called Clubroom, <laughs> Clubhouse, actually. Can you believe this? <laughs> it's, uh, I've met a few people on this Clubhouse thing. It has absolutely gone uh, AWOL of late and uh, this is why we are talking this is why we're having this conversation today because of Clubhouse so for that you know I thank it for the sleepless nights I don't thank it <laughs> but we've had many other connections on there as well but to, to kick off Jerry it'd be great to find out you know how did you get into property how did you become a property entrepreneur or more more importantly why did you have a job before did you make a transition or were you always an entrepreneur or you know what's your journey been thank you how far back do you want me to go Dan <laughs> <laughs> I've always I've always wanted to have my own business I guess that's a start for yeah. 10 and I I did go to uni I did study building engineering and stuff like that, which I can't really remember, but I did go and do that. <laughs> but all the while thinking in the background, I'm going to go and do my own thing. And I ended up working for some construction companies. And then I went and worked for some product manufacturers. So I could actually learn how to sell or yeah. at least try and learn how to sell. And that went on for about three or four years. And then one of those companies had a product that they weren't doing very well with. And I flew over to Canada where the supplier was and managed to convince them that they should maybe supply me instead of them while I go and set up on my own, which thankfully... Fantastic. <laughs> Happy days. And you pulled it off, I take it. I did. And the company I worked for then became a customer. Fantastic. Even better. Two for one. So, and then, and then I started the property thing. For me, it was resi. I started off doing buy to let, doing it up. And then letting yeah. it. And, and at the time, Dan, you know, my knowledge was very, very minimal other than, you know, the mechanics of how a house went together and that you had Absolutely. to save up and get a deposit, buy it, yeah. rent it out. That, that was yeah, basically so, as far as I got at that point. Yeah, so they were buying you for every mortgage kind of thing. Yeah, yeah and I, I, had, I had read Kiyosaki. So I kind of had, yeah. you know, some basis there of what I was going yeah. to try and do. So trying to just, you know, move away from money related to your hours you work in whatever absolutely. field you're in absolutely that's, i think that's a foundational point where everybody kind of clicks on to investing in assets that can potentially produce maybe not passive income but a little hassle income yeah. <laughs> you know and one day you might get to passive income with the right kind of tenants in place but usually there's some form of hassle and um but you know so you're in resi buying refurbery mortgage that kind of thing saving up for deposits buying your next one all that kind of stuff when did you decide to add commercial to, to your whole portfolio? So I started in Resi in 2000, and then probably around about 2002, Kiyosaki again, playing the game, yeah, yeah. thinking, how do I find a big deal? How do I find right. a big deal? They look good. Yeah, I don't know yeah, absolutely. how to find one. So how do you get onto these things? And in the end, 
after loads of networking and stuff, Dan, it ended up being a small office building. And it was mm. through playing a game of cash flow, somebody was there. I was explaining what I was looking for. And I said, oh, I know somebody might, might have something like that. Anyway, about 18 months later, we managed to buy this building. So I didn't, I didn't go out trying to find commercial property. I wasn't that wise at the time. <laughs> I just was trying to find a bigger deal. It ended up being a multi-let property. And As in a co-working kind of situation. Well, they've all got their own spaces. They've all got their own key. Hmm. But there is a communal entrance, communal toilets, and we've also got a, a building manager in there as well, a reception, hmm. if you will. Um, yeah. But when we bought it, really, most of the customers just, they signed an agreement, here's your keys, and they were left to it. And, and over yeah. the years, we've added more value, I guess, for customers, which yeah. has allowed us to increase the rent considerably. So like a boardroom, breakout rooms, that kind of thing. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Internet, cool. all these sorts of things. And also at the time, the chap who had it thought he was charging a reasonable rate. It certainly was for the customers, but the market rate was much higher. Yeah. So this is kind of wholesale to retail. You bought a box with, uh, was it vacant at the time? No, it was 100% occupied. 100% occupied. Fantastic. So cash flow day one. Yep. Always profess cash flow day one and then take one space at a time and then add value by chunking up into little spaces. Yep. and renting out on shorter-term tenancies kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the actual, I can't remember the exact numbers, but basically we managed to pretty much double the rent that they were charging over a period of years by improving the mm. building. As you say, every mm. time somebody moved out, right, here's our opportunity. Let's go in and refurb yeah. the space, bring up Absolutely. the spec. But there was definitely an element of they just hadn't judged the market right. They didn't really know yeah. what the price point was and they were too far yeah. below it. So even if we hadn't done a lot of refurb, we could have still put the rent up to market rate and, and increase. Yeah. But the great thing was, Dan, when we came to find the next building, I had to get that one valued, the original one. So <laughs> I didn't really know quite what was going on in that while I was Space. doing it up and increasing yeah. the rent, which was what I was after, was cash flow, mm. I didn't realize how much I was affecting the value. So when the valuer came in and revalued the building at effectively three times what we paid for it, mm. I had to take a step back and think, right, hold on a minute. Yeah, light bulb moment. And that's actually when I went full time, actually, because I asked yeah, my own business that was running on the side, and I just thought, no, no, I need to concentrate on this properly because I realized that you could be really active and add value by mm. affecting the rent, and that was the big switch. So yeah. then I thought, right, okay, uh, I really need to double uh, down on yeah, this. Absolutely. See, that sounds fantastic. So you bought a space for cash flow day one. As a tenant left, you reconfigured the space and break them up into small units. It probably doubled the rent per square foot, I would imagine. That's usually the co-working space, you know, double or triple the rate. Plus you then have a little service charge of £5 or something per foot for all the, you know, uh, provisions that you supply, you know, water, waste, all, all the bits and bobs, Wi-Fi kind of thing. Is that is that your, you know, roughly the same kind of number? Roughly, roughly. We have, our customers will only really get a couple of invoices from us. One, which is the rent, which includes services. And the right. other one would be for any additional stuff like a meeting room they might use ad hoc yeah. and internet. They will pay extra for the internet because some people want super duper yeah. internet and they really know what they want and others just think they yeah. want fast broadband which is totally yeah. different absolutely different. Uh, yeah and obviously you get active strategies and passive strategies 
Um, and then you get investments that are either active, i.e. you're involved, more like a business trading, which is obviously this kind of thing, unless you have a managing agent or a tenant in there that's on a discounted rate to manage the whole thing. But how do you do? Do you manage it yourself? So we have a prop co and an op co. Hmm. So I, I spend most of my time in the property company buying and finding these assets and, and yeah. redeveloping them. And then there's another team in, in a separate business that are kind of the operator that move in there. Yeah. So at some point, I guess somebody else could be that operator. Um, yeah. We could potentially sell that business, but keep the keep the buildings themselves. But it just means that our team are mainly in the operations side. Mm. The development is a separate team. Yeah, that's so how we do it now. Just to clarify for everyone, anyone that's not in commercial, a prop co and an op co. Uh, yes. You're talking, you're talking, you're talking uh, kind of funky language already that I love. Uh, but just explain what that, that is. What you know, what's in a prop co, what's in an op co, and what's the thing that binds them together? Okay, so prop co is where our assets are held, and we actually have more than one prop co. Prop co being property company. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a couple of different companies that hold assets. We try not have any employees in there. We try and have no contracts in there. We try and just have the assets, yeah. kind of ring-fenced. The operating side, which you're talking about more, Dan, is the active stuff, day-to-day management, is mm. a separate trading company. It's called the Opco, which is the operating company. Yeah. And that's where most of our staff are. That's where most of our contracts with customers and suppliers are. And it just slightly de-risks and puts the ball up between the asset and all the liabilities. Yeah, and you have a, an a, a FRI between the two? We actually have a... Because we most of our funding is through a bank, we only have a management contract between there and there. Yeah. If if we really need to get a higher valuation on our properties, mm. then I would put in a lease because the value yeah. would would value them higher yeah, than it currently does. But yeah. I, I don't really need to trigger that just now. So at the moment, we just work on a management contract. The problem with about a lease, of course, is that you're going to have to start paying some tax on setting up that lease, depending on how long you run it for. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not something to think about for the future because it does, depending on the terms and if it's landlord friendly, which it would be, does add a lot of value to that. For sure, yeah. Uh, you know, and it sets you up for a sale of the management company down the road if that's something you choose to do or not. Um, but great structure. And it's really the foundations of that are assets and liabilities. You know, fixed assets, liabilities, what are they? Any moving parts, any staff, employees, contracts with outside providers, never ever have them in the same vehicle. You know, and I would assume that you have another vehicle for the developing out of properties as well. Yeah. We So what we'll do is we'll develop the space within the property company that buys that asset. So that So the funding goes in there, the asset goes in there, and then the developing of that goes in there as yeah. in the managing of it, mm-hmm. and then we move on to the next one. Yeah. So we don't have a development company as such, but we do have a separate company. It's more of a management company where yeah. we've got project manager, architect, that sort of thing. So that's, yeah. again, slightly separate so that it can deal with each prop co as, as needs be. Yeah, yeah. And in my experience, always not a bad idea to have a think about that developing part of anything being separate. You know, if you're dealing with a, a you know, a main contractor, that's one thing. But I would imagine you're dealing with trades direct if you're 
Are you doing that? Or have you got you can be, yeah. Yeah, you can be, which, you know, things go wrong <laughs> now and again. Yeah. And uh, it's always best to have any potential uh, liability, any potential lawsuit ring-fenced away from the bank, you know, so that doesn't sure, trigger yeah. any any potential covenant breaches there. Uh, for me, anyway. Uh, but although I'm a little bit older than you, belt and braces, yeah. <laughs> you learn as you go, I suppose. And uh, so your core strategy is, is kind of HMO for commercial, uh, effectively. That's exactly yeah. what it is, yeah. CMO. Yeah. CMO, commercial multiple occupancy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a great strategy just now. We're looking at an office block as well uh, up here and thinking about, you know, it has cash flow day one, it has a tenant in there, but there's obviously free vacant space as well. And we're thinking about creating a digital tech hub in there, which, yeah. um, you know, is kind of quite sexy um, right now. And, you know, the, the rent per square foot is incredibly high, probably tw- you know two and a half times what the normal market will pay. But you're offering flexibility, and the market is leaning into flexibility going forward. Um, it's really where things are going to be. And uh, so, what, what are the strategies? Because you have more than CMOs, you got residential CMOs, but you also have a long-term kind of play as well. You know, more yes. of the passive investing. So we do have some lease space um, where we, there are five, ten. There's one with 15 year, although it's down to nine now. Mm. Where I mean, we bought a building in February last year, which has I know the building really well actually over the years because I knew the the owner. But we bought it in February. I've still not been in it yet, um, but it, it's on a lease, and because yeah. Yeah, because the owner of the property also had the company, um, there was a fairly favourable rate. So actually, mm. when we had it valued it valued up higher in vacant possession than it did with the lease. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> so, when, so when we do get to the point where it's review time, then obviously we know there'll be an upside. But there yeah. was a container park with it as well, which is a bit more akin to what we do on a day-to-day. But that, that was buying a building with a lease that got about nine years on it. I think the yield, 13 14% initially. Yeah, so 13%, 14% day one on the whole purchase price and on that was on the least element plus you've got this added value potential container setup as well yeah, yeah and the containers again they're under we've got containers down the road on another site and they're about 20 percent, 25 percent more in price per month so we've also right. got an upside to yeah, yeah work its way through as people move out uh, and what do you do you, uh what's your best renting container is it the full 20 foot or is it potential 20 foot cut into three units four units two units 20 foot down, 20 foot all the time. Yeah, and do you put roller shutters on the front instead of the big heavy doors? or No, they're all heavy doors, all heavy doors. Yeah. Um, we have one 40 footer, just one. It, it It's not always easy to let out. I mean, it's like a yeah. huge cave. Oh, no, it's massive, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely enormous. But the 20 footers are brilliant, yeah. And yeah. the thing is, of course, 10 foot containers cost almost the same amount as a 20 as foot, a 20 you don't foot, really yeah. want to put them in if you've got a gap that you can't fit anything else in. Yeah. I've noticed that uh, Storage Vault have a lot of 20 footers that are cut into four little boxes. I mean, tiny yeah. boxes. And I think that's what's called their SLO, um, you know, a self-liquidating offer where people come, uh, they, they see £50 a month, I'm in for one of them, get there and they can't put their stuff in yeah. before they know they've upsold to the, the Big Mac and the fries and the, <laughs> all the rest of it. Um, I think that's the kind of game plan because they're always at the front, you know. Um, but they're they're doing a great, uh, we're, we're looking at a site just now that's uh, a few acres, you know, for the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
What what use class is that actually? Containers. I have them on class four. Class four, right? That's where I've got them. But I guess there's always that argument about: Are they movable? Are they not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you need planning permission? Do you not? I one site we have has got full planning permission. The other two have not got planning permission, but we've had discussions. And they, <laughs> right. they're on hard standing on ground that was there. Yeah, already so there. much change to what was there. Yeah. Um, um, and was it wasteland or was it, you know, storage before? Brownfield. Brownfield. I mean, there would have been a warehouse on it at some point. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. yeah. So tear, tear down, use the land for space. Uh, it's a great strategy just now because storage, you know, light industrial, Big storage is all absolutely in a growth phase right now. Yeah, yeah we're 100% full on industrial and storage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's a, it's a great play going forward because, you know, it's land at the end of the day. Uh, and it's got that liquidity if it, you know, if it ever goes out of fashion, which I can't ever see, um, you, you can easily sell the containers. You know, what, what do you for, sure. for yeah. a 20-foot container? Secondhand at the moment, I don't know, but it's certainly higher than... It has been because they're having real problems with China at the moment, real problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've bought containers at £1,400 and I've bought containers at two and a half grand. I think at the moment they're up the two, two and, and a half, half grand, grand. maybe yeah. higher. Yeah, we just, uh, that's the word on the street, two and a half K. I've actually bought 30 containers for £300 each once. But there was a few dogs in there. I mean, real dogs, you know, <laughs> real ugly. But it was a job lot kind of thing. Um, but two and a half k. If you want to make a presentable, you know, showroom type appearance kind of thing, that's where it's at. Yeah. Plus a hard standing, plus probably concrete round as well. Um, and you've got to make sure in that space. I was just speaking to the architect about it today, actually, um, about escape. You know, make sure you got a minimum passage through whatever alleyways you're making, depending on how many you have, kind of thing. Um, and getting then turning distances right. Yeah. So you make sure you comply. Transport, yeah, transport and highways. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, for, for yourself going forward, what's your kind of game plan? More of the same, more, see, you know, multiple occupancy offices, um, containers, light industrial? Um, all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> and what's well, your patch, just in case I see something for you, you can ping Well, it. Dan, at the end of the day, um, we, asked, we built a house once, right? A speculative house way up north to sell. Yeah. And it taught me a lot. And, and one of the key things was when I was going to that property, I was passing many, many, many other opportunities on the way. Along the way, yeah. And why not just do everything as close to home as possible if, yeah. if there's good margin, which there is. Yeah. So our furthest away is about 50 minutes at the moment from where we live. Yeah. And, and where do you live, sorry? Dundee. Dundee, yeah. Where do we live? I live in Kinross, but the property's yeah. up in Dundee and then we've got some down in Fife. And we'll, we'll, we'll venture out from that, but because of the operating company, you want to make sure that staff aren't travelling mm, 200 miles because yeah. they'll just lose, all your, lose yeah. all your margin. But for me, I often, the way I kind of approach it is finding the knackered buildings mm. that nobody knows what to do with because I can get them for a really good price yeah. And then developing them out in the best way. So it might be just offices. It might be offices and co-working. It might be industrial. It might be storage or it might be a mixture. Yeah. So really what I'm trying to do is find those buildings where I can add value and get a sustainable cash flow out of them. Yeah. So find things like, people don't like. 
Sorry, Dan. Yeah, find things people don't want to do that look like too much hassle. Yeah. And you get a chance to negotiate then, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Nobody else looking at it. Yeah. But, but long term, what I'd love to be able to do, and um, I've discussed this with Alex a little bit as well, is I, I, we, you need scale for this, but it's having a property where you have the ability to provide your workspace, but equally blending it more with lifestyle, hospitality, mm. that sort of yeah. thing. So as an example, a, a couple of buildings ago, what we did was we developed a business lounge on the ground floor, a co-working space on the top floor, and then sandwiched in there are lots of um, small and large private offices. Mm-hmm. But at the back, which we're just part, part of our meeting today, is, is a venue space where we'll put some food and bev as well. Mm-hmm. Now, if the building was big enough, we'd put in a gym as well. Yeah. But basically, the business lounge is open from nine to five for all the customers, all the members of that building. But after five, it's available as a venue for mm. events, product launches, whatever it is. But the building's still not of a size that you could fully maximize the use of that and put in a bar mm. and put in yeah. a gym. Yeah. And I know you guys are talking about doing that with the other side, yeah. the resi side. But yeah, there's absolutely. definitely both those markets are coming together into more of a hospitality offer rather than just here's your keys, we'll see you in six months. Yeah, and that's absolutely. where I want to get to. But I need buildings that are bigger than the one that we yeah, have I, uh, for that, yeah. proje- that project. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, spaces are going to be far more fluid in the future, uh, far more flexible tenancies, agreements, uh, licenses to occupy. And uh, whoever provides, you know, it's all evolving massively just now. Yeah. Um, and who knows what's on the other side, but what is on the other side is flexibility, you know, and having that co-working, co-living, you know, co-playing space, that experiential kind of environment, whether that be retail office or whatever, you've got to try and now blend it all together. We're looking at a few just now, one um, in Guildford actually, we just exchanged on last week. It's a 17,000 square feet and it has two tenants on the ground floor, you know, Pangland and CEX. CX are at least comes up March next year. Poundland, um, six years unexpired. But if Poundland go, they want to re- renegotiate out and pay us a chunk of money to go, we'll be happy bunnies <laughs> because there's a, a, a quasi resi and co working thing that we want to do there, yeah. you know, and, and reduce their footprint from 9,000 down to 4,000 square feet. You know, and we have the 4,000 square feet to do our new co-working offer, which would be awesome. Plus, it gives us nine more apartments. Um, so having multiple exits is really, you know, the kind of thing that you should have on your everyone's radar kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a cash flow day one as well, 20 apartments upstairs. Um, and if, you know, so 2.1 million guaranteed coming in from Poundland. So if they want to pay to get out, we're all ears. <laughs> but I don't think they will. But... We'll see, you know. Um, to go back to some of you mentioned earlier on about flexibility, last time round when 2009, 10, 11, that period where there was the, the recession or there was no money, <laughs> effectively, um, we had more inquiries during that three-year period than we had in the previous five, six, seven years. And to be fair, subsequently, because mm-hmm. people were coming to the end of leases and they did not want to renew their lease. They wanted flexibility. 
Absolutely. There were people starting their own businesses. Mm. There was people or businesses sidestepping. They weren't necessarily downsizing. They were just sidestepping from where they were to something a bit more flexible. Yeah. And there were people who, I guess, were working or, or they were working for corporates or family offices who decided to shut their office but weren't mm. disconnecting from the employees. Just the employee had to find a suitable place to actually go and work. Yeah, absolutely. So all these things combined to give you an increased number of inquiries. And the double whammy, of course, is that property prices in some scenarios are dropping. So you've got yeah. an increased demand mm. and the opportunity to buy properties at a better rate. So the two work really well together. So no, absolutely. I think going forward, we're, we're in an incredible decade. Um, whether it's you know black swan triggering the biggest recession since 1706, the baby boomers are going to drive values down. The big funds are going to drive values down by putting dumping a ton of stock onto the market. So, um, you know, commercial without a shadow of a doubt, as long as you learn understand strategies of how because you need to add value. Buying value is great, but it is intrinsic. But you need to know a way how you can increase value massively. So you've got a de-geared asset, a safe asset, you know, unleveraged asset going forward. And if anyone's listening right now, what would you suggest? Someone sitting on a resi portfolio um, or they're in residential, in property, the asset class in some way, shape or form, and they want to kind of try and take that step into commercial. Where would you suggest would be the kind of safest place to start where they're not going to lose their shirt kind of thing? Well, buying something with an income, buying a vanilla product, buying something small. That's where you're not going to lose your shirt, but you're also not going to win a watch. But I think the thing is, this is what I teach you all the time, Dan, is some people will sit on the fence forever trying to find the million pound deal. And actually, you just need to get in the swim and just learn how this thing works. Find the building, one that's not too high risk, one that, I mean, like the one I started with, at the end of the day, I bought it at 10% yield. That's not exactly exciting, is it? But it yeah. ended up being good because there was a there was an issue on the profit and loss where they just weren't charging enough. Yeah. So I would always say, well, I, I certainly encourage people to get started sooner rather than later, but do it small so you can learn loads on that first project, mm. but also not lose a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I heard you the other day, Dan, saying, you know, if if you're if you are more in resi and you understand that market, maybe getting a blended product. I haven't done this, but getting something that's got a resi option and a commercial option. So there's something you're already comfy with. Mm. Just from what you were saying that it makes perfect sense. Something you're already comfy with, but also adds in that commercial element too, so you can start. Mm. No, I, I I think that's a great strategy. If you're in residential and you, you look at shops and uppers, we've got that commercial downstairs. You've got cash flow day one. You obviously under, you have to. What's critical is understanding tenant sector, tenant risk profiles. You know what to lean into, what to run away from, and if if they do collapse, how do you replace them? How do you know if there's demand in the area in the first place? Um, that's key. But adding value with vacant uppers. So buying low value uppers and high value resi areas and converting, um, you know, it's got to be a natural fit for that residential step into adding commercial. We're not replacing resi, but adding commercials, you've got that multiple diversified income streams. It's got to be a, a kind of easy step, isn't it, to make because yeah. you're half comfortable with the whole thing. 
Um, that, that for me is where you start. Another great opportunity, I think, this decade is, you know, baby, like for example, I'll give you a real life example, baby boomers selling their business that also yep. own their underlying asset. And that for me was, I'm from a kind of business buying background. And like we we're talking to one the other day, 74 year old couple, absolutely wonderful couple, but they've just had enough. They just want out five and a half acres, uh, 30 units, lockup units, 400 pound per lockup unit rent. There's a house on the site. There's tons of development opportunity and the same rent for the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> That, that for me is like, you know, just a gold mine waiting to happen. And you've more than likely got vendor finance as well to help you package the whole thing up because um, you're fixing a real problem, you know? Um, cool. So in terms of your thoughts, if you're starting, want to make that shift from Resi, add commercial to your whole portfolio to get that multiple diversified income streams, you, you're sum your words up again just so everybody knows. Yeah, I, would, I would start small and keep the risk low. What, one of the things that I think really helps is going out, because some people ask, how do you find these properties? Of course. And if you are talking to agents, asking for buildings that have a par income mm-hmm. means two things. One, it focuses the agent in on a specific type of property, one that's got a partial income. It gives you an income that you might want to borrow against if you need to borrow. But by default, it means there's an area in the building that you can add value to. So you're getting an income, but you've got an opportunity to add value. And it gives the agent something a bit more to focus on instead of just saying, oh, well, I'm looking for something that's going to make me loads of money. Well, that doesn't really mean anything, does it? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good way to get started. Find something small, but something that's got a bit of an income on it already. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Cash flow day one is fundamental. Property at the end of the day is a cash flow game. Uh, you know, it's, it's a game of cash flow. And then, you know, over time, you get that capital appreciation. Or if you learn strategies, you can actually force the market yourself and, you know, create that forced capital appreciation uh, like you just talked about before. In a simple way, he bought something that was income producing. He uh, has one tenant left. He replaced it with multiple tenants. So cutting the space up. And then over time, doubled the rental, tripled the value. Yeah. Um, it's simple, just not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, but who says not. it has to be? <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to go, if you're going to do hard, which is trying to get financially free, you may as well add commercial to the whole portfolio because you can actually get there faster if you learn the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you know, I used to look at commercial, Dan, and I thought when I was doing Resi, Commercial was the thing you did after Resi because it was all about passive income. Yeah. You you parked your money in an industrial unit, you earned your 10 or 15%, and that was it. And it was yeah. only after I went through that process, realized actually there's a really good opportunity to be active in this and add value. And that mm. and that was when the lights that's when the switch, you know. Absolutely. Went. But see, see you have a combination of two hybrid schemes. Um, like, let me just give you the real life example of what it means, this deal. You know, we, we do the exchange on this deal, we complete, we refurb some flats, we sell out the flats the other end. What does it all mean? You know, what, it, what, it, what happens at the end of the day? At the end of the day, we build flats there in a high value area. We sell the 20 flats, which is the worst case. After we've sold the flats, we're left with a commercial kicking off 30,000 pounds a month, 1.25 million debt. 
with probably a five mil valuation. Now, for me, using residential and commercial together as a hybrid is a hedge. It's a safe play because you're utilizing the liquidity intrinsic and residential with all their schemes for to help that liquidity, low interest rates and whatever, um, to then sell to force the values down, not to re-gear back up, but to do it again. And then all of a sudden you've got a portfolio of 25% gearing, which is for me, learning the strategies is critical, you know, and being able to do that to create safety. Yeah. It's interesting because people look at commercial and think it is a strategy itself. It's not. It's many, many strategies. Yeah, That's absolutely. like looking at residential and saying residential is a strategy. No, yeah. residential is the envelope that has many, many strategies in it. And, and in commercial, yeah. it's like res, you're going to have to niche up in something. I don't think we can master everything. And for me, mm. that's been multi-let. But in yeah. time, I know that part of the other strategy I need is those assets that have the longer term leases where I have not going to visit the property because I've no need to and the customer's yeah. looking after them a lot more on an FRI lease. Yeah, so I can only really say that something quite near you actually, Perth, Scott Street in Perth, right next to Pizza Hut along from Costa and Greg's and who's one of the road, Pound Stretcher uh, and M&Co if they're still there or, or in that street. Um, we've got a property there that we acquired, it was rented in June 2013 and been back once. <laughs> That's my kind of hassle. I like. Was that as a customer? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I was playing golf at Glen Eagle, so I thought it's another twenty minutes, and I was like, "Well, I go, well, I don't go," and I went because I'm paranoid about. We've got a flat roof section extension at the back, and I was going to make sure. I always uh, think the agent's not going to check, the tenant's not going to check. So at some point, you have to send somebody up to check, and it's usually one of the guys that does roof repairs and this is an FRI. So I shouldn't be doing yeah. any of this, you know, but at the end of the day, it's my baby. So I went up once, uh, took some pictures, instructed my guy to just fix it. And then I, I phoned the tenant out. So like, we fixed this because I know it would take about six months to do. Here's the bill. Um, and they paid it immediately because it wasn't a lot of money, you know, but I didn't need to get involved in that. And I probably overstepped the mark to be honest, but, <laughs> but once. I'm sure you were somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I was just bored. Uh, once in, since two, June 2013, it's not bad. They're not all like that. And, uh, you know, there are things shit, you know, the wheels fall off the cart sometimes. But uh, when you get it right, it really is. Commercial is a different beast. Commercial and residential hybrids, you want to jump into that. Right now, there's no bigger opportunity, especially in England. Yeah. And that's where I'm focusing right now in England. Commercial and residential hybrid schemes. Um, under the new PD rights, PA or existing PDPA, and the new ones coming, and the, and the ones in first of August is going to make it super, super simple. It's going to be like a revolving use class um, for the the ground floor, which really opens up things, you know. And and guess what? We exchange on that building. I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love all this. Um, you know, the, the technology has really come on, isn't it? You know, during yeah. this pandemic, it's become fantastic. And even the uh, registrars in Scotland have kind of pushed, probably done more yeah, in yeah. the last kind of nine months than they've done the last nine years, um, which is great. We're still years behind England, unfortunately, but we'll get there at some point, you know. Um, but any, any any closing comments for anyone starting out in commercial then uh, before we... Oh, you've, you've got to do it. Don't get bamboozled by all the high fluting terms and everything else just get in the swim learn 
from people like Dan here, go on podcasts, all the different places, so much more information available out there. But it is definitely a, a, a strategy or a sector that you can really accumulate long-term wealth mm-hmm. because of the fact that you can affect the value far more than you can in residential because you're affecting it by the rent. Yes, yeah. the covenant's important, but the rent is just so significant. And of course, the benefit is you're adding cash flow if you increase the rent, but it's the valuation change is just so incredible in, in commercial. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's that valuation change uh, where even if like what, one of the club members recently just bought something, 1.25 mil, the day he bought is worth 3 million. You know, so under contract at 1.25, it's got the tenant lined up, both completing simultaneous, you know, he's got a big uplift there. Uh, he, he got a, a loan of 90% to cost, but he'll, he'll be able to refinance that if he wants to. He doesn't need to, but if he wants to pull out all his money. Yeah. And m- maybe even a wee bonus as well. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what Jerry's saying is absolutely on the money. There's no better asset class or, you know, than commercial to force capital values to de-risk and, you know, de-gear and create safe cash flow going forward. Um, now, the, for me, that's critical. And it's something you want to jump into, lead into. And Jerry's got a program. We've got a program. We've got a club. It's not really a, a program. It's a club where we go live every every week. Um, but go on YouTube. Get it all for free. And, uh, you know, f- lean into it and feel, it. is this something that you want to look further forward into, get involved in? But this decade is going to be, I call it the greatest wealth transfer, just period. It's, it's, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a, a hell of a ride. But before you jump in, get some education and uh, wish you all the best. So Jerry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for coming on the show. We'll have to get you back another time and uh, we'll see you on Clubhouse very, very soon. Very soon. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, buddy.